Hello everyone, Charlie Webster here. I hope you're doing okay and managing and keeping safe during the lockdown. I know there's a lot of people really struggling out there, including in the world of sport. So we've started this new podcast, My Sporting Mind, to hear from sports people about their mental health and well-being and hopefully help and inspire people across the board and not just in sport. And to kick the podcast off, I'm really pleased to say that I'm joined by the former England and Liverpool goalkeeper, Chris Kirkland. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us. No, my pleasure. Um, anything to help people, as you said, during this, during this tough time. But also it, it, it helps me doing things like this as well. Um, so, yeah, thanks for, thanks for having us on. I know it's, it's great to hear you share and, and be so open. And, you know, you just mentioned there it is a tough time at the moment. So how are you and your family have been doing? You know what, we're OK. The first couple of weeks were really hard because I think it, it didn't really sink in at the start. Um, it was so, I mean, it still is surreal. Um, but it's sort of becoming normal in a bad way now. Um, so you know the routine, you, you sort of accepted the situation, but you've got, to make, you've got to try and make the most of it. So trying to have that routine during the day. We try and space things out during the day so we don't get up in the morning, do everything, and then we've got sat there twiddling our thumbs. So we try and space things out, do things as a family, exercise. Lucy's still doing uh, all her homework. They get that sent from the school. So she's sort of doing the day as, as though she would be at school still. And then obviously after that, we do things together and do a lot of exercise, walking the dog. But yeah, it's just, mm. there's tough days, real tough days. Um, but you've just got to keep telling yourself that eventually we will be out of this. You've just got to keep telling yourself that. Yeah, and I think it's really normal for things to be up and down. You're talking about exercise. I've seen your videos with Lucy, your daughter, and some of the goalkeeping like drills that you've been doing. We were actually talking before we recorded about how much exercise plays a part. And I was telling you, you know, I've been running all the time, and but I've also had to be a little bit careful that I don't, I'm not so obsessed with it, and I don't push myself so far. Is that something that you find with exercise as well? Absolutely, and I had that all during my career as well. I overtrained, uh, even on days off, I would go for a ten mile run at home, or I'd go on the bike. So, but when you're younger, you think you're invincible and you can do it. But it kept, when you get over thirty, it starts to starts to catch up with you. So, uh, yeah, but I definitely, if I don't do something most days, I do something, you know, six out of seven days a week. If I don't do something, I just feel lazy, but also mentally as well. It, it affects me mentally. So, but as soon as I've done some exercise, even when I don't feel like doing it, because as you know, there's days when it's the last thing you want to do. But as soon as you start doing it, you know, the endorphins kick in and it's such a positive and you feel so much better. What sort of messages do you think? you get because you said about mentally when you maybe don't exercise yeah I just feel I don't know it just makes you a lot particularly this time at the minute it's so easy just to sit on the couch and do nothing um you know and during this time you know the rule book's out the window the situation we're in at the minute is so surreal but even when things weren't you know this bad when we were so-called in the normal phase a few months ago I still had to exercise, but it's also about getting out as well. Being in that environment, seeing things, it just makes you feel makes you feel a lot better. Now I know a lot of people can't exercise for for some reasons or anything like that, but if they can do even five ten minutes mentally, it just helps you so much. So going back to talk about when you first maybe felt uh, the feelings of depression or maybe knew that there was something wrong, I know that you moved from Wigan to Sheffield Wednesday and you had to commute right so you drove o across 
the way to to Sheffield. I wonder, what did you feel like? What were those feelings when you first noticed something was wrong? What was going through your mind? Well, like you said, when I signed for Liverpool in 2001, moved up with my girlfriend, now wife, Leona, and for 11 years, I was at Liverpool for six years, and then I was at Wigan, uh, Liverpool five years, Wigan for six years, and lived within 15 minutes of both training grounds, the stadiums. Um, you know, Lucy was born in 2006, so I'd get back after training, pick her up from nursery or pick her up from school. My routine, I, I knew exactly what I was doing each day, very happy. And then all of a sudden, when I signed for Sheffield Wednesday, it just flipped 180. Uh, you know, my routine changed. I was up at five in the morning, like people have to do to go to work. You know, so I'm not after any sympathy like, but it just completely changed. I was the first into the training ground at like quarter past seven. There was no one else there. I was getting back. I was stuck in traffic every day on Woodhead. Some days I couldn't get home because they'd shut the road for crashes, so I had to stay in Sheffield. And it slowly just started eating away at me. The winter months were hard because, you know, you're up in the morning, it's freezing, it's pitch black. You're travelling on your own to Sheffield. And it just started gradually eating away at me and I was... I just wasn't myself. I was withdrawing stuff. I wasn't talking to people on the phone. When I got home from Sheffield, I, I shut the gate. I didn't want to go out. Um, I just wanted to be home and, and be with my family. And it just, like, over the three years I was there, I was going to sign again for them in 2015-16, but I was in my training kit, first day of pre-season. I had the pen in my hand, just about to sign the contract in the office, and, and something just come over saying, you can't do this, you need to get back home. You need to be somewhere closer to home. And I thought doing that would sort of reverse the cycle I was in, but it didn't. By then I was too far. I'd got into that way of, of living and withdrawing myself from a lot of stuff. And it was horrendous. It, like, you know, you've been through it yourself. You just feel as though you can see it happening, but it's like, you can, it's, I always say it like I was in a steel box that was see-through and I could see myself in this other life, not doing anything, slipping away, but I was banging on the box to try and get out and, and stop myself doing it, but I just couldn't do it. It was just, mm. it was, a, it was, yeah, it was the worst time of my life, but not just for me, for my family as well. I look back now and, you know, because it's the people you live with as well, it affects. So it was just how my wife put up with it and, you know, I was never, you know, violent or nothing like that. I was never abused, nothing like that at all, but... You know, I would literally just sit there and not talk at all all day or not do anything. So my wife was a diamond for, for helping me and, you know, recognising that I needed help. And and she, without her things and my daughter, things would have been a lot different, a lot different. What sort of things did Leona used to say to you and how did she start to recognise maybe that there was something not right? Because I think a lot of people, including myself, can relate to what you just said about it. it's almost like you start to just withdraw inside yourself and detach from from your emotions and the way I describe it is it's almost like I've got this thick fog in my head and I'm trying to to get out of it but you just it just like engulfs you and and you can't clear it so you can make a clear decision to help yourself yeah you're spot on I mean I for for when I was at Sheffield Wednesday for the three years you sort of because you know the typical macho thing man in the house you know, I, I hid a lot of stuff from her, but she knew there was issues. Like I said, when I come home, I was not doing anything. If we had, if she'd organised stuff at the weekends after football for a meal or with friends, I would pull out last minute. She went to a lot of things on her ho- on her own, like parties at houses and you know kids' birthday parties. I'd always make an excuse that I had to do something not to go. So, 
she knew there was a problem, but it wasn't until I um two thousand and fifteen when I when I said look I need help I need I need to get help and I started seeing a counsellor. She she knew then I told her everything. I just said look I feel terrible, I was suicidal, um, you know I went away to Portugal with Berry in two thousand sixteen seventeen. Um, so for five years it, it was eating away at me. Thought moving back to Preston, closer to home. I live in Liverpool. But by then, like I said, you, you've got that cloud in your head and things just, things were never the same again. And I was, I was away in Portugal on pre-season training with Berry. She'd never signed for him because I, was, I, was, I just didn't want to play football. I didn't want to do anything at that time. But I did because the professionalism kicks in again, saying, right, you can get through this, do it. You know, you'll enjoy it, do it. But I was on, uh, I was on the top floor of uh, an apartment block in, in, Portugal, in Portugal with a team. And it was about two in the morning and I just broke down. I just That was my tipping point. I just rang the owner and said, look, I'm scared what I want to do. I was on top of the roof. I was thinking about jumping off. Um, and Leona talked me down. She said, look, you can't. We need you. You know, Lucy needs you. I need you. Um, come home tomorrow and we'll get you sorted out. And I flew home the next day and started seeing a counsellor. And, you know, as soon as I did that, as soon as I asked for help and started getting that help, it was like a huge weight off my shoulders. It just, you know, I wish I had done it sooner, but until you're ready to do that, until you get to that point, um, you know, where either you sink or swim, um, you don't want to do it until you're ready to ask for help. And, and, and that was the point for me. That's when I knew that if I didn't, I wouldn't be there much longer. Yeah, it's something I've, I've always thought about. Do you need to get to a breaking point to, to realise? What do you think? Uh, that was for me, uh, you know, because for the five years I knew what was happening. Well, I, I knew there was an issue. Obviously, depression wasn't talked about that much back then. It's only in the last two years, 18, 18 months, two years, really, that now it's every day, which is brilliant. You know, there's stuff doing it like you're doing this podcast, you know, a lot of radio stations, TV programmes. It's more or less every day now, which it needs to be because they say one in four suffer. It's not. It's more like three in four. But I got to that point now. I contacted the PFA, started seeing a couple of counsellors. didn't really click. And then I found a lady in Manchester called Lorraine and she was, as soon as I sat down within 10 seconds, I knew that she could help me. So I've seen her a few times and then everything was great for about a year. Um, but then I started, so it was January last year, 2019. I started just feeling the old feelings again, started slipping back in, withdrawing, you know, you lose the routine then of being a footballer, something you've always done, you know, the day-to-day stuff, the dressing room, I just started missing all that and, and started withdrawing, put up with it for six months, thought I can get through this, I know what I need to do now. But then I was away again on a golfing holiday in Portugal with my best mate. And um, again, I just broke down. I said, I'm not in a good way, I need help. And flew home the next day. And that's when I knew I needed to go into a proper place. So I went into, I rang the PFA and said, look, I need to come into rehab. I need, for my mental health, I need help. But there was a three month waiting list and I said, I can't, I can't wait that long. I said, I need to get in somewhere now. So me and Leona Googled a few places and found Parkland Place in North Wales, which is only an hour away from me, which made me feel comfortable because I've always been a home person. If I have to travel, I get very anxious. So I went in there and it was the best thing I've ever done. And sitting here now, I feel amazing. But I know, you know, I know it's always going to be there, but I've got the coping mechanisms. And that's what they do. They, they teach you to cope with it and the the signals and you know the what you can do to help yourself and I owe them everything because I could have been back into a real dark place. 
What was the difference, do you think, between the counselling you received and then that real intense help that you that you got? Um, because I think it's re- just what you just said was really key, that it is about living with it. I suppose that's what I always describe it, living with depression rather than like battling against it. Because I think when you battle against it, you just you'll never beat it. This massive fight with it, yeah. And it's almost like accepting that you have that, and then you can live with you can live well with it. You can be okay. I know I'm always gonna have it. I know I'll always be, you know, when we were going, th- which help doesn't help as well. You you go through personal things in your life. You know, we lost a, a brilliant friend um, to cancer. I was driving up to say goodbye to him. He died on the way up. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him. So there's things along the way that contribute to that. Everyone, everybody has in their life. There's always tragedies and stuff like that. But uh, in the place, the, the, the thing that probably helped me the most was the group sessions, which something I'd never done before. I was listening to people's stories. And the first couple of days, I must admit, it was extremely hard. And I rang Leona after a couple of days. I said, Look, these are, you know, I don't know if I can do the group sessions. They're really upsetting me they're making me cry but after she went listen trust me stick with it and they will help you and then she said you'll all help each other and wow I couldn't wait to get in there in the mornings then you know um, the group sessions you hear some horrendous things it all leads back to depression whether it's addiction you know whatever the addictions are but it all all leads back to mental health it all comes back to that you know people don't wake up in the morning and think right I'm going to take whatever you know you do it for a reason uh, to block things out or to, to block the way you feel. Yeah, it's like a form of coping with something, right? Exactly. So the, them group sessions were amazing. Then in the afternoon, you had your one-on-ones with a counsellor, with your key worker. I had no intention of staying over when I did it, um, you know, because when I rang the Sporting Chance, that was one of the things that scared as well. Even though it was a three-month wait, it's 20... Sorry, my dog's just getting... <laughs> it was a 20-minute... Um, <laughs> hey, Sam. Yeah, there we go. Dog. <laughs> yeah, so it was a it was a three month wait, but it was twenty seven days, and it was to take the phones off you the first five days, and I didn't want that because I've always been close to my wife and my daughter, so that was a big thing for me. I had no intention of staying over. They said to me, right, we'll tailor the program around you, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever's going to get the best out of this for you and work for you, we will do that. But after about two or three days, I started stopping over more than I come home because. It's not just the sessions you do with the groups during the day. At night, we all sat outside having cups of tea, just talking about life in general, and it helped everyone so much. And it was the best thing I ever done. And it was a beautiful place where it was as well, um, in Colwyn Bay, North Wales. And I wish I would have done it five years ago. Um, but thankfully, I have done. Still keep in touch with them now. You know, they're always there as well. You know, they say, look, once you leave here, you're always part of us. Ring us any time, come and see us. And and the the lady actually texted Cheryl texted us today, so uh, they want me to become an ambassador for them, which I'm more than happy to do. I'll go down and speak to people. I said, listen, I'll come down, sit in sessions if they want me to, you know, talk about my experiences because it helps you as well. It helps you just to keep in check, just to keep your mental health sort of at bay if you want. Oh, congratulations! That's brilliant. You know, when we were just saying about being in the group, I was smiling because. I also had those group sessions and they were the most valuable thing to me ever because I could create a trust on a one-on-one but then I found it difficult in a wider group but that's where it emulates almost society and how you can cope with different people that have various different behaviours and coping mechanisms um, due to depression and I think it's through human connection which is why you know why we're doing this and why 
through hearing people's conversations you can understand that it's not that it's not just you something you tweeted when um you first spoke publicly about when you went to um the place in Colwyn Bay you said look I don't want empathy and then you said said that you'd got depression what do you think do you still feel that same way because I'm just intrigued by the fact that you said I don't want empathy it's almost like there is still that fear or, or there was that fear of having that embarrassment or shame around it because it's really important that you have empathy and we have empathy and for everyone when I said that uh, I meant it because like yourself we're in a, a high profile position where we can use that for the good you know, there's a lot of stuff on, on on Twitter and Facebook that there's a lot of negative stuff. Um, and sometimes people do it for their own benefit. And I just wanted people to know that uh, for their own benefit in the wrong way. And I just wanted people to know that I wasn't doing that for that. I was I was doing it genuinely to say thanks to Parkland Place for, for rescuing me, but also for people to know that it's okay to, to ask for help. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're, you know, so-called... But I hate the word famous or celebrity. I hate that word. Uh, whether you whether you're that or you just you know Joe blogs down down the corner shop or whatever. It's just for people to know that everyone struggles, but uh, everyone uh, needs to ask for help at some time and not to be ashamed to ask for ask for help. Because the wonderful thing about this world, yes, there is things that drive you insane, but there's people out there that want to help you uh, and want to get you know help you get better, and, and that's why I did it for. And the response from the, from from that from the tweet I put out with the video was just incredible, and it, it, you know a lot of people got in touch saying that you know they were going to commit suicide, they'd listen to that, and and they're going to fight it and, and ask for help now. So I read so many messages that was you know to made me cry a lot. You know it hit really hit home. Some of them were were hard to read and listen to, but again it was just nice knowing that you've done submit to, to help other people. But like I said, it's not to say, oh, brilliant, Chris Kirkland's done this, amazing, oh, what a guy. It's not about that at all. You know, I don't want any praise for it because it's just, I, I did what I, I would hope somebody helps would do for me. You know, you said that people have been getting in contact with you and did when you first spoke publicly and some were suicidal. Yeah. And you talked about that time when you phoned your wife and you were stood on a balcony. How, firstly, how... How scary was that and how scary is it looking back? Like you just said, now looking back's the hard bit. Yeah. Uh, because I look back and thought what what I was just about to do. I look at my daughter every day thinking she she wouldn't have had a dad, you know, growing up. Um, she wouldn't have had a dad there. I look at my wife thinking she wouldn't she wouldn't have had a husband, everything I could have missed out on. Uh, and it hurts, it gives you, you know, it, it, knowing that you could I could have done that is just it's hard. It's actually it's really hard. Uh, but now you have to, if you dwell on it too much, it can get you really down. So now you have to use it as a positive. I am still here. I'm trying to do a lot of work now for other people to make sure people stay here as well. And, you know, when I wake up in the morning, and me and my wife, we've been together 20 odd years. We've got a brilliant relationship. Our daughter's just amazing as well. And Obviously, my best mate, the dog, is on the floor now. So I look at things now and realise how, how lucky I am, but also realise what I could have lost and what damage I could have done to other people. Because that's what people have got to realise as well. It's about what they've got to cope with if you do something like that. And 
instruction you can leave behind is is incredible. I'm just so thankful I never did that and, and got help. I think in that moment as well, it's really hard to have the perspective of how it will affect other people because I think there's so much of that inner chatter that tells you that that you know maybe you're not cared for and people won't care and won't be bothered and your mind is very very good at giving you those criticisms in your head um what would you say to anybody and what have you said in the past of that are feeling like that right now you've got to ask for help you know whether it's talking to it's the only way it really is because it never goes away yes you might think right okay i'm positive you might wake up the next day and think right i can do this but eventually it will creep back in you know yourself it creeps back in you've got to ask for help you know ring these helplines the only negative thing I had when I went into the rehab place was a couple texts saying, well, it's okay because you've got the money to do that. But what about other people? There's so many free things out there, so many helplines, so many group things. I've been to them. I've walked into group ones where nobody's knew that I was going just to chat to people. There's so much good stuff. Just search it out. I'm involved in a great um, app called Yappa, which stands for You Are Perfect Always. It's free. You know, we didn't want to charge people to use it. It's literally about your mental health, communication, anything like that. There's so much stuff out there. Trying, but it's easy saying it until you're ready to do it. It's it's the last thing on your mind. But trust me, you know, be strong and just ask for help. And and once you do that, you'll feel a massive weight off your shoulders. Still a long way to go. It doesn't fix it straight. Doesn't fix it like that as soon as you ask for help. But you do feel a relief knowing that there is people there that can help you through it. And I know you wanted to give a shout out to your wife, your wife Leona's friend, who's doing amazing work as well before we go. Yeah, Donna Jack, she's the matron at hospital in York. She's going to absolutely go mental at me because she doesn't like praise or anything like that. She's working so hard and all her staff. Um, we lost Callum, her husband, for just over four years ago to cancer. And she's obviously the kids, Zoe and Ryan, um, are growing up now but she does amazing work and all the staff do and um, going forward now you know when I do stuff where I'm going to be getting a fee for doing stuff I'm going to donate it all to her to pay for her petrol to get into work to buy cakes for all the staff that she works with just to give them a little bit of a pick up uh, but she's she's amazing she's when I was going through depression she was there for me for my wife even though she was going through heartache herself with losing Callum you know, we, we, unfortunately, we, we, you know, we can't get to see her at the minute, but we're FaceTiming all the time. But she's working 15, 16 hour days every single day. Like, you know, what the NHS is doing and key workers at the minute is just incredible. I'm so happy that they're getting the recognition that they deserve now. Oh, thank you. That's really nice. And thanks so much for sharing, Chris. I really appreciate you being so open and honest. And I really hope you've all found it helpful, whether you're wherever you're listening, really. And thank you to Sport in Mind as well. They're a charity for their support with this episode. Um, remember, if you are really struggling, um, myself and Chris did talk about reaching out. You can call 111. That's the NHS helpline. It's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's just 111. And as always, please feel free to get in touch with me on social media and ask any questions. And I'm sure anybody can contact you as well, Chris. Absolutely. My, yeah, my Twitter. Also, if you can, you know, you want to download that Yappa app, Y-A-P-A, it's free, no charge at, at all. There's going to be a mental health section on it, uh, a meditation section, a fitness section. We're doing all sorts. There's also, if you are struggling, there's a local help button on there that you can press and it tells you where all your local help is in the area that, that you're in. So that hopefully that can help a few people. My Twitter is uh, Chris Kirkland, at Chris Kirkland 43. You know, send me a message and I'll get back to you, you know, whatever you need. If you are struggling, 
I'll give you a call on like we're doing now on FaceTime. I've been doing a lot of them calls and it's uh, it's helping me just as much as it's helping other people. So yeah, you know, any anything I can do to help anyone, please ask. Thanks so much, Chris. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us and keep safe and we'll definitely speak again soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>